Welcome to Coastline Church, seeking renewed faith in Humboldt County by being settled and secure in God's love. To learn more, visit coastlinefoursquare.com. So, so far in Acts, this is, uh, we're reading today, starts at least 12 years after the resurrection, maybe as late as 15. Uh, just, it's, God, God's timing's perfect, our calendars are just inaccurate. So our, our calendars, Jesus wasn't really born on January 1st, year zero, just because our calendars are off. Um, so because of that, we don't know exactly when things happen. But this is, in this chapter, we actually get some specific dates. And so we know this is about 12 years down the line from when the church started after Pentecost. And some powerful things have happened. You know, we had the conversion of Saul. We had a lot of different people had the revelation that the Gentiles were saved. Not just Peter, it happened among other people too. But Peter was the big one for Jerusalem because he had these whole visions and Cornelius had a vision and God made it very elaborate so Peter would find it easy to defend what happened in Jerusalem. And we talked about that last week. Uh, <clears throat> Barnabas was sent to Antioch because God started moving greatly in Antioch, mostly among Gentiles. <clears throat> when Barnabas was there, he saw the need for finding Paul. Or actually at that time he was still going by Saul. So he searched and found Saul and brought him along. And during this time, as we had that prophecy um, that Fran talked about last week, where Agabus prophesied the whole idea of, this, uh, of the whole famine coming. So they took up a great collection, large collection in Antioch, and then Barnabas and Saul brought it to Jerusalem. So right now Barnabas and Saul are in Jerusalem. Uh, they brought in the donation. And things were going pretty well. We actually had a few years of general peace. And then that changes here in chapter 12. And so in chapter 12, it starts with, at about this time, <clears throat> it was about this time that King Herod arrested some that belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. So they had a, a few short years, maybe three, maybe four, of relative peace, and now it gets started up again by King Herod. And it's interesting because this isn't just the Pharisees, now the king is involved. And for context, I think it's going to help to understand. Why is that not working? Do I not have it going? Okay. All right, thanks. All right, so basically, you have three major Herods. There's actually a lot of Herods in history in this area. But there are the three major ones that we get in Scripture. There's Herod the Great. He's not called the Great because he was a great guy. Herod the Great was called Herod the Great because when he was king, he had all of Judea and Samaria, even part of what's now uh, Syria. He, he had a big empire. And that's the Herod that was around when Jesus was born. That's the Herod that did the killing of the babies in Bethlehem. Ruthless guy, murderer, killed even some of his own kids. Okay, so this is a ruthless, this is not a great guy. You know, I mean, both, both from the... the even the Jews that weren't Christians would look back and say, no, Herod the Great was a great terror. Okay, he died shortly after Jesus was born. Then there was a, another Herod for a short while, but the, the one we're going to focus on, or we, the one we see in Scripture a lot, is Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas was the ruler of Galilee at the time of Jesus. This is the Herod 
that uh, Pilate sent Jesus to. When, when, he, when Pilate found out Jesus was from Galilee, he says, great, you're Herod's headache. And he sent to Herod Antipas. Antipas is the one that killed John the Baptist. Okay, he married Herodias. Herodias was his sister-in-law. She was also his niece, because things were kind of screwed up in those days. So he married his niece's sister-in-law. And that's what got John the Baptist in trouble, because he, he approached him on that stuff. <clears throat> killed John the Baptist, threatened Jesus, not a golden king. Then the next one, oh, okay, I guess you have to do it for me, Jerry, sorry. <clears throat> so now <clears throat> we get King Agrippa. He's the king, Herod, in Acts 12. So Agrippa was both the nephew and son-in-law of Herod Antipas. In fact, I'll move, just move right along to the next point. Yeah, that's good. Whoop, we went too far. There we go. So I'll, I'm gonna try and run through this quick, because I, know, I, don't wanna tell, I don't wanna tell you too much bad news, and yet I think it's, it's really good to even emotionally and deeply understand the times that the apostles lived in, the times Jesus lived in. So Herod Agrippa, his father was killed by his grandfather. His grandfather was Herod the Great. Remember I said he killed some of his own kids? That included three of his sons. One of the sons he killed was Herod Agrippa's dad. Because of that, after his dad was killed, he was sent off, and it actually worked out well for him politically because he was raised with the politically powerful of Rome. He was raised around future, I mean, he was raised around actually the son of the current emperor. Um, that son died and different things happened, but. The whole idea is I want you to understand, he ended up connected just through how he was raised. Um, when his mother died, because his father was already dead, he was very good at wasting money. He had a fortune, actually ended up with multiple fortunes, and he ended up squandering just about all of them. In fact, he got into huge debt. So he was a squanderer of fortunes. History tells us, um, this isn't all in the Bible, but it's a lot in Roman history. Because he ended up a major ruler, there's a lot of history about him written by secular people. He was a taker of bribes. Again, how the politics go. He was in trouble and, and he, he fled to a place and he started succeeding. And then his own brother found out he took bribes and he's the one that turned him in. So his own family was against him. Huge debtor, raised up a, a big debt, people bailed him out of it, and then he went back to debt again. Uh, he was helped by Herod Antipas and Herodias. Again, it's a weird thing. Herodias is his sister and his aunt. So his sister aunt, uh, helped him, convinced her husband, Herod Antipas, to help him. Later, they had a falling out. Uh, because they had a falling out, things went against him. He ended up in trouble again. He got favored by the Emperor Tiberius. Um, he was actually rescued by the Emperor Tiberius. Uh, at a time when the Tiberius was late in the 70s and losing it, Tiberius, he had some good moments, but in his latter years, he kind of lost it and got really, I mean, very murderous very vindictive, and he was in good with them. In fact, he was actually hired to educate Tiberius's grandson. And then he got overheard saying, guy, I can hardly wait till, until Tiberius dies so Caligula can be in charge. Overheard by somebody who reported Tiberius. Everybody kind of had the feel of like, Tiberius isn't gonna be real positive about saying, oh, I should die so that the next guy can come in. So he gets thrown in jail. Could have been worse for him except that in less than a year while he's in prison, Tiberius dies. Okay, again, to get the feel for what it was like in those days, he actually kind of died twice. 
because he was really old, very unhealthy, and he died. We'd probably say maybe a coma. So it's great, oh, he's dead, now we got Caligula in an hour. And then he woke up, so he was awake again. And then with some assistance, he died again. A friend of a Tiberius's used the blankets and assisted him in dying and staying dead. <laughs> and so that's how we get Caligula in power in 37. When Calig Caligula comes to power, he was raised, again, uh, because Agrippa was raised in political inroads, he, he by now was already a friend of Caligula. So Caligula gets him out of jail and sets him up at the Golan Heights and places east. Um, it, it was property, or I guess you'd say a region of land that was ruled by another relative of Agrippa's. And basically Philip the Tetrarch, Tetrarch was done, so Caligula got to have the Golan Heights. So now he set up as a mini ruler again. Um, in 39 AD, a couple years later, he convinces Caligula that you can't trust Antipas and his sister. I mean, sorry, Antipas's wife, Agrippa's sister. So he turns on his own uncle and his own aunt's sister, or sister aunt, and gets them banished so he can take over their land. So now he's over a large region. Well, then in 41, um, people assisted Caligula in his death. So you have the assassination of Caligula, and then what happens is Claudius and others are in a struggle for power, and Agrippa assists Claudius. Different scholars argue over how, how far he assisted him, but a general consensus is he at least gave him counsel on who to murder. So Agrippa gets in good with Claudius, Claudius sends an emperor, and then Claudius says, you get to be king of all of it. So now you're king of Jerusalem, Judea, because up to this time, the kings were not over, um, Jerusalem. Like, remember when Antipas was around, it was Pilate that was over Jerusalem. Remember this? Okay, I stumbled through that, but the whole idea I want you to see is not on your gold list of a guy who got there by qualification. It's, it's who he knew. He was sly. He did dirty deeds, just like the rulers before him. But now he is king of all Judea. <clears throat> and as king of Judea, he wants to get in good with the Jews. He actually advocates for them. But by the Jews, we mean the Jews in power. We mean the strong Jews, not necessarily all the people, but the Pharisees and such. The, the point I want us to get out of this is kings, emperors, senators, generals, all those in power are violently corrupt. I mean, it's not just that they would slam somebody on Facebook. They're taking people out, okay? They're, they rig elections. They do everything you can think of that's bad politically. Everybody clear on that? So we know what kind of time they people lived in. <clears throat> So back to Acts 12. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. So we know this couldn't, the time King Herod became King Herod in Jerusalem was 41 AD. So the soonest this could have been was 41 AD, thinking it's more likely, most scholars think it was about 42. Sometime into that, so maybe 43 AD, maybe a little later, he says he has, it says he had James, the brother of John, put to death by the sword. Okay, this is James and John, the sons of thunder. This is James who's on the inner circle. Because, I mean, Jesus was fully human while fully divine. Fully human, like us, he could only have a certain number of friends super close to him. And his inner three were Peter, James, and John. So this is one of the inner three. This is one of the big leaders. 
Um, some commentaries say, you know, he was the son of thunder. He was probably very outspoken in the church, which might be why he got arrested. <clears throat> but he gets arrested and he gets killed. So he's not the first one killed, but it's the first apostle of the 12, or actually the 11 originals, first we know that was killed, and definitely the only one of the inner three. So I want us to think about emotionally how this feels. you got a very corrupt king, a very corrupt system. Everybody knows about the corruption. And now the persecution looks like it's working because James gets killed. Okay, move on. <clears throat> so when he, Herod, <clears throat> saw that the approval among the Jews showed up. So when he saw all this approval from the Jews over arresting and killing James, he decides, well, let's grab Peter too. So he grabs Peter. And this was happening during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So that's the idea of during the feast, the week and such, that's Passover. Make sense? Okay, because we're doing this this way, I, I may end up just talking for a while. Maybe that will help. It'll at least let, make me less distracted. So here's what happens. <clears throat> he thinks it's a great idea. He arrests Peter. Because it's Passover, he doesn't want to kill him right away. So he's going to wait till after Passover. So he decides, we'll have him in jail a while, then we'll take care of him. I think the Jewish leaders warned him, these guys seem to have an amazing way of getting out of jail. And so he actually grabs 16 soldiers. He does four groups of four soldiers. He has 16 soldiers just in charge of this guy, Peter. And what happens is, <clears throat> is you have that going on. Peter's there for days, and it says that Peter was arrested but the church prayed fervently. So the church prayed, you can just leave that, we'll just go without it, great, or Jerry things. Um, so the church is praying fervently for him. And while he's tied up, or not tied up, he's actually chained, between two guards, it's night, and a bright light happens. An angel shows up and there's a bright light. And the angel tells Peter, wake up. Actually, the chains fall off, they just fall off. He tells Peter to wake up. Somehow the guards are not awake for this, or I don't know what's going on. They, they don't notice it. <coughs> but he wakes Peter up, tells him, get your clothes on, get your sandals on. We're going for a walk. And then they walk out, and there are guards at every door. They go right by him. Peter at the time is not sure if he's dreaming or if this is a vision. But when they get past all the guards, and they walk right past the guards, right past the outer gate, and they go about a block or so down the road, and then the angel disappears. And then Peter comes to himself and goes, wow, this isn't a vision. I now know God has actually delivered me. So he's excited. And they have to decide where to go and where he decides to go is the house of Mary. And this is Mary who's the mother of John Mark. John is also called John Mark. The Bible puts that in because John Mark shows up later. Uh, depending on if Colossians, the Mark and Colossians that Paul writes about refers to John Mark. Um, we know John Mark and Mary are actually related to Barnabas, and most scholars think that is the case. <clears throat> so he goes, and remember we talked a lot about Barnabas last week. So here's Mary, a relative of Barnabas's, <clears throat> and John Mark's house. Peter decides to go there, and there's a group of there praying. <clears throat> And he knocks on the door. And Rhoda answers. So this servant girl thinks she's pretty young, goes to the door, and Peter's talking to her. And she gets really excited. She gets so excited, she goes, wow, Peter's at the door, and she runs to tell other people, 
She doesn't let Peter in. So she's so excited, she leaves Peter at the door. And she tells the people who are fervent prayers, Peter's here. And they say, you're flipping crazy. You know, this cannot be. But she persists. And I want us to pick up the, the faith picture here. They're fervently praying, and God answers prayer, and their reaction is, you got to be crazy. So then they, she convinces them, no, there's somebody at the door. <clears throat> and they say, maybe it's his angel. And that could mean, like, did Peter have a guardian angel? Scholars are divided. Guardian angel, or do they mean by his angel, his spirit? But either way, the whole idea is they've been praying for Peter, and it is easier to believe that he's dead and his ghost is at the door, or he's dead and his angel's at the door. That's easier to believe than that God answered prayer. Now, again, remember, because they saw James arrested and killed. So, so they don't have a lot of history of the keys guys getting released. But they finally go to the door because Peter keeps knocking. And sure enough, Peter's there, and it says they're astonished. Again, fervent prayers, faithful. We're praying for God to move, and God moves. And we think it's more likely that God failed and his ghost is there. I mean, that's just, I want us to get the irony of the faith picture here. But they're amazed. They listen to Peter. See, they rejoice. And then Peter tells them, I got to go somewhere else, but tell James. Now, James, not James, the one that's dead, but James, the brother of Jesus. Tell James and the others, you know, what's going on. Because he tells them the whole story. And then we kind of leave Peter there. We just, that story leaves. And then the passage goes on to Herod again. And says, okay, so after Passover, well, actually, first it says, Herod is shocked because this happened the night, this is after Passover, it was the night before Peter was supposed to go to trial. So the very next day, let's go get Peter and start this trial, and he is gone. And the guards cannot explain it. And it's a real bummer for them because Herod hears all the story, grills everybody, and then has them all executed because that's Roman custom. So the poor guards take a hit. Then it tells us that Herod goes off to give this great speech. And there were people from other lands that were at kind of, uh, they were at odds. Actually, they weren't so much at odds as much as it was is uh, Herod Agrippa was at odds with them. And the problem is Herod's in super, like has a lot of power and they need Herod's help in their land. I mean, they need his food. They need to trade with him. So Herod gives a speech. Um, the, secular, the secular reports are Herod showed up, the Bible says, in his great robes. Uh, secular uh, authors say uh, this was when Herod Agrippa showed up with silver, like he had shining silver on him with fancy robes, and then the sun hit the silver and it made it shine like a god, and they have all this poetic stuff. He gives a speech sitting on his throne, and the people say, it's the voice of a god, not of a man. And scripture says he didn't give glory to God. Um, even the second authors say he didn't seem to react either way, but it, like he wasn't stopping them yelling, this is the voice of a God, not a man. And scripture says the angel of the Lord struck him. He got a worm and he died. That's, that's pretty heavy. Uh, we know from the secular historians, it took him five days to die. In fact, Joseph writes a whole thing about how, how bad it was for the five days before he died. And if Joseph is right, he actually, he had, actually writes this little speech that he gave just before his death, that Agrippa got very humbled about this, like, I was a fool to let them praise me like a god, because look at how I'm ending. There's a lot more to it than that. But a powerful thing. 
again, it's one of those hard things when you want to go out and share the gospel that Jesus has a great plan for your life and it's all awesome because you can't get away from, okay, and then this guy gave a speech, got a worm and died. Part of why you know the background is it wasn't arbitrary like, oh, the guy made one mistake and didn't give God the glory and that one mistake cost him. No, this, this guy had a history of issues. <clears throat> okay, then it just leaves us there because then it just says the gospel continued to grow. The gospel continued to flourish. This persecution and all that, this is happening. And then it says, oh yeah, and by the way, Paul and Barnabas finished what they came to Jerusalem for, and then they went back to Antioch. And with the exception of chapter 18, where they have the big Jewish council, this is kind of where you lose the whole focus on Jerusalem. Because from then on, it seems like the center of Christianity is centered in Antioch. And when we get to other chapters, we'll talk about that. But we're seeing a very big transition here, a big transition that happens. So why am I telling all this story? Oh, I didn't know you were following me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the point I'm looking at is this. Pain and loss are very real. James dies, one of the inner circle. I mean, even for Peter when he's arrested, uh, James and John were partners. They, they were business partners and friends with Peter. These were like, you know, the, the buddies he grew up with and he fished with. So he's dealing with a loss while he's in jail. <clears throat> and all this stuff happens. There were corrupt kings and kingdoms in this world. And I see in the message of this is we have to not get distracted by that. Because you couldn't get much more corrupt. I mean, people talk about, oh, the political world, and I have friends that, you know, they follow politics and Facebook too much and they lose their freaking minds. <clears throat> you can't get much crazier than the time these guys were raised in. And that's not what the book of Acts is really about. So we can't get distracted by the corrupt kings. Because the, the thing that God was concerned with is his kingdom. And in his kingdom, he is the one that does amazing things. In his kingdom, we pray, we have conversations with the God that created the universe. And we really don't even have to be perfect. These people are not exactly examples of perfect faith, didn't doubt, like they knew what's going on. No, God answered the prayer and they still couldn't come to grips with it. I don't know about you, but I find it very encouraging that God does not need perfect people to pray. Amen. He just wants us to pray. And then when he prays, he moves and he does amazing things. Because when you think about how all this that he had to get to get Peter out of that jail, it is flipping amazing. So the whole gist of this I see in this is, world's corrupt and strange and weird. And when everybody says, oh, it's getting darker, I don't know if it's getting darker. I Pretty much that the kingdoms of this world aren't Jesus's yet. In Revelation, the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord. It's not there yet. So let's not get shocked that there's their darkness and weirdness. Let's get focused on the king Amen. of the kingdom we're in. Because we're not in that kingdom anymore. Make sense? Yes. And let's just really believe prayer works. Let's believe that we can have conversations with God. And even if my strange mind happens to get weird doubts, I'm still going to pursue in prayer. Mm -hmm. Even though in the morning I have weird doubts, I'm still going to go participate with what Holy Spirit's doing in the lives of those around me. Because we are always invited by Holy Spirit to participate with what he's doing. And it really doesn't matter what the seemingly powerful and rich do. Because uh, David had to deal with this in a lot of Psalms. <clears throat> People that aren't serving God look like they're winning. You can't let that distract you. Because God knows who gets worms and dies. Okay? 
right? That's pretty much Acts 12. Awesome. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today at Coastline Church. To find out more information, please visit coastlinefoursquare.com.